This is Leslie Kane, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. I'd like to thank Partner Hero for sponsoring this episode. The world over, outsourcing can get a pretty bad reputation, seen to be exploitative and providing low-quality service. That's why Partner Hero's values-based approach raises the bar for the outsourcing industry by investing in employee empowerment and career growth, paying above average market salaries and maintaining a focus on quality and performance. Offering flexible terms and the ability to scale quickly, which is perfect for startups, quality assurance is baked into every programme. Also with offices around the world, so Partner Hero can offer a truly global coverage, including onshore, nearshore and offshore options. I know right now in the UFO community, we are all waiting for a delayed report that we feel a certain organisation could certainly benefit from Partner Hero's assistance. I myself worked for outsourced companies growing up and had wildly differing experiences, facing many of the challenges that outsourced work brings. That's why Partner Hero's ethics and value-based approach really appeal to me and will to anyone looking to scale up their fast-growing business. So, if you are ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com forward slash that UFO to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from That UFO podcast and they'll waive the setup fee. I think that's a good place, Leslie, to move on to us, the, the second part of the show, to be honest, because we've covered a lot of ground there and it's all tied in quite nicely together. So thank you very much. In the second part, I, I do want to move a little bit into your work on life after death and how that ties in with the UFO topic and then some listener questions as well, of course, including the um, inquiry into anomalous experiences and the phenomenon conference. Every time I say that, I just wish James and Jay had settled for a slightly shorter, <laughs> shorter title because I always forget it and have to read it. So thank you, gents, for that. Um, maybe they're working with Arrow and such for coming up with these acronyms that the, the US government are coming out with. Um, yeah. Listen, you've done some great work, as I mentioned at the beginning, on other areas of the paranormal, specifically the idea of life after death. Your book was a huge success and was then the inspiration behind a very well-received six-part Netflix series. Um, people who have died and come back report seeing beings or others when they're crossing over to whatever is beyond this life. And I I wonder, do you see many crossovers in your work on the afterlife and UFOs coming together? I mean, I'm just beginning to get more of a handle on that, Andy. You know, when I wrote the book Surviving Death, which was, I started in around 2013, I think actually writing it, came out in 2017. I really thought of it as a subject completely separate from UFOs. You know, I didn't, I just didn't see the connection. I mean, in any big way, because I'd always focus on UFOs as physical objects. And mm-hmm. I looked at, you know, from the military's perspective, right. And pilots, physical objects that you can see on radar, you know, and of course, and then I did this other book about different um, research that's been done on the possibility of the survival of consciousness past death. And it just seemed to me to be completely unrelated. But as I've learned more and more, and, I, and I'm, I'm way behind many others who have been thinking about these things for a long time, you know, I'm just much more aware of the paranormal kind of high strangeness elements of the UFO phenomenon, which really don't feature into the reporting that I do, because that it's just not the right time. And, pl- yeah. you know, we don't, we don't do that yet. They're not ready for that. But um, I think that's partly why I haven't been you know, as focused on it myself because of just the, the, the 
the work I do just doesn't include that. But, um, you know, I'm much more aware of it now. I'm, I'm more aware of the links between consciousness and the, the UFO phenomenon and the impact that it has on people's consciousness if they do have a, an encounter, say. Um, and then how that connects with a, a lot of psi phenomena and psi abilities and all of that connects with the question of, of consciousness and what is it and is, does it go beyond the physical body? And it's all just sort of becomes this universe of mystery and questioning, you know, I can't say I have answers, but I, I definitely think there, there is a connection. Um, and you know, I think people like Jacques Vallée have been exploring that, but mm. Whitley Strieber is another one who has been exploring that for a long time. Um, and, you know, there he talks about cases of and there of people who ha will go on a have a abduction experience or some kind of close encounter experience and they will see a, a dead person in that during that experience that involves a UFO event. They'll see a lost loved one, you know, just like you might see on a near-death experience. So, I'm I, there. There are obviously a lot of links, and I'm not an expert on it. I ha, I'm just that's something I'm really interested in in developing and learning more about is that that connection. And I think um, there are a lot of people exploring that connection now. There so, are just yeah. by just by lucky chance, I had Whitley Strieber, uh, Jacques Vallée, and Jim Semivan all guess back to back throughout October. Um, wow. Not because I planned it that way; it just happened to be the the way the chips fell, which was wonderful. And you're right; they all share similar stories or or theories or hypotheses around that that consciousness or whatever that is to people, because it's different things to different people. And I wonder in those early conversations you had with with sources on or off the record. Were there ever those chats about, you know, when you're talking about UFOs, did those kinds of ideas come into the conversations or is that something that maybe came much later or more recently or if at all? I think for me, I mean, there were certainly, we certainly have discussed like close encounter experiences where people and experiences over the years where people's consciousness is affected, where things happen to them as a result of an encounter, you know, but um not so much beyond that. I mean, not so much a link to after death experience or near death experience, or it was more just a link to consciousness um, and the impact that a close encounter can have on a person's mind and, and brain. And, you know, and now we have Gary Nolan, who's actually studying the physical parts of the brain, you know, to see what happens in the brain with ex people who have experiences and are very high functioning people. And a lot of these people are extremely sensitive and have all kinds of psychic abilities. So, um, but so it would come up sometimes in conversations I would have with, with people over the years, but, um, and certainly I, I have learned a lot about close encounter cases or I sort of hate the word abduction, but that's sort of what they've been called. I was very good friends with Bud Hopkins and I learned a lot about the cases he studied. So mm. I've always been fascinated by it, but I haven't really made the leap until fairly recently of connecting that to anything to do with a, a kind of an afterlife realm. I, I think we're talking about some dimension of reality that bleeds between the two, you know, a, a very simplistic way of looking at it, but some kind of other dimension that we we really can't perceive with our normal senses, but sometimes we get a glimpse of it or something happens to take us there, 
and then it, it can have a permanent effect. Um, and we don't know, maybe it's, just, it's something right around us all the time that we're just not equipped biologically to perceive. I mean, there's just, I'm just aware of how much we don't know mm. about reality, you know? Um, so the more, yeah, it really is true. I know it's a cliche, but it's really true that the more you learn, the more questions there are. <laughs> Absolutely. Just just in two years doing this podcast, I've changed my mind. And I think it's always important to have a fluid opinion on these kinds of topics. I wonder, in your research, like you say, with the life after death being relatively new, UFOs has been a lot longer for you. If you could, if you had to bet or put money or wager on definitive proof of an afterlife or definitive proof of a non-human intelligence intelligence visiting the earth what would be first the latter definitely i think we've already pretty much got the non-human intelligence proof you know um it's much easier to nail that down than it is to nail down survival past death i mean there's a lot of very provocative and suggestive evidence mm -hmm. um things that are very hard to explain in any other way, but it's not like you have this solid object that you can document like you can with a UFO, right? Yeah. It's just, and have, have military militaries that collect case data and government agencies and, you know, 70 years of, of investigation and classified programs. You just don't have all that. You just basically have some very, very high level investigators, but not nearly as many and you have people who have had experiences that they can talk about. And you can look at the, the similarities between a lot of different experiences that people have. So it's much harder to, and that's one reason why I found this book much more difficult to write than UFOs, way more difficult because the material itself is not as easy to, you know, to, to just nail down. It's, it's more nebulous. It's, it's more, um, you know, take, it involves your imagination and ex personal experience. And um, it's just, as a journalist, it's just not as journalistic, you know, even though I tried to write a book that was as journalistic as it could possibly be on this particular subject. And there is a lot of great research that's been done. So the book kind of includes the research and the personal stories. Mm. But it's, it, I don't, I just can't imagine we're going to have proof probably ever really hardcore proof although some people have had enough experience to think that we do that they have proof that they do have proof yep you know it's very subjective i mean if you have a certain level of experience and you have a near-death experience you're absolutely convinced that you have proof but it's not something that you can prove to anyone but yourself that's that's the thing there sometimes seems to be that overlap in, in the two i know Chris, christopher bledsoe had a, a near-death experience when he was much younger which afterwards opened up what would appear to be a whole range of of otherworldly phenomena throughout the rest of his life whitley streber and others have an experience and i wonder does this do these original experiences or initial experiences crack open a door which never quite closes and you That's mentioned that other dimension yeah that it, it's just there and you've always then got that little bit of an exposure to it that just now and again bleeds through to a more a more solid experience. It just seemed that way. I mean, it's a it's a great question. You probably know the answer as well as I do. You know, it does seem that. And that's what we were saying earlier about consciousness being affected. So he has a near death experience, and then it opens up all these 
portals of doors in his consciousness to all kinds of other things that happened throughout his life. And some of that I think involves UFO type experiences. Mm. I mean, and UFO experiences and that also can be the definition of what they are. I feel like has become much broader now that we're thinking of UAP, right? Yep. We're not thinking of just some physical object in the sky, but we're thinking of a much broader range of experience. Like if you think about the orbs that are documented in the Pentagon, um, the, the Skinwalkers book, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, I think it's called. Yep. That one, no. uh, the yep. more recent one. Yeah. I mean, you know, these cases of orbs, I mean, it's not like when I was working on my book in 2010 that I would have considered a, a baseball sized orb as really being a UFO, you mm -hmm. know? It was something else. And now it's like it's all kind of in one universe. All the, you know, unidentified aerial phenomena means a broad range of phenomena. And you can't necessarily pigeonhole it into any one type of thing. And I think part of that whole mix is situations like you described where somebody has a near death experience and then they have all these abilities they didn't have before. And then they start have you, having UFO encounters and they have this other thing and that other thing happens. It's like the broad range of anomalous experiences that people have are all connected. And one of the people that's really core in, in writing about that and talking about that is Jeffrey Kripal from mm. Rice University, who would be another great interview for you. And he and will- a, And a couple of weeks, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, he's coming to the conference on December 3rd, and he he's just so brilliant at uh, tying together all the anomalous, what we call anomalous experiences that people have all the time, all different types of experiences that need to be recognized as really part of who we are as human beings. And you know, we've just kind of been in denial about them, but really they're, they're a natural part of who we are. And whether that be UFOs or near death or having precognitive dreams or near death experiences or whatever, you know, it's a matter of just sort of seeing the human being in a different way than we have in the past. And that's, how Jeffrey Kripal looks at it. And he also looks at it. He also is very, it's just, he's a religious scholar. So he can go back through history and see how these experiences have been reported throughout history. And maybe they're just reworded a little bit because of the time that they have occurred, but you can sort of see this consistency that these been, things have been happening to people forever. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a matter of seeing, I, I, so I feel like I used to just see UFOs as where there's this extraterrestrial hypothesis that maybe these craft are coming from somewhere else, mm -hmm. someplace in, else in the, in, you know, in our solar system or something. So simplistic. That's what they concluded in the Cometa report. You know, that's what the, a lot of the people concluded in my book in 2010. But now I think we've just expanded our whole perception of what it means to have a UFO encounter. And um, I don't think that that's, I think it's going to take a while before that becomes integrated into places like Congress and, you know, the agency that studies this in the Department of Defense and things like that. But it is a big part of it. And it's the, it's really the essential element of what the, what it's all about. And I think over time, it's just going to become more and more, it's got to become more integrated into how we see it.
it just takes time for us to get there. I'm going to be completely honest and admit that I do love a bit of cool technology, but not all the best tech is classified. So when Blendjet got in touch about their new Blendjet 2.0, I was very excited to try it out, especially as one of those protein shake people that many folks hate. Just shaking never has the same results as a blender does, let's be fair. Blend Jet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blend Jet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house, a big one for me folks, and it lasts for 15 or more blends, and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blend Jet 2 cleans itself, just blend with water. Water, a drop of soap and you're good to go with over 30 colors available there are something for everyone personally i'm a huge fan of the carbon fiber what are you waiting for go to blendjet.com and grab yours today and be sure to use the promo code that ufo 12 to get 12 percent off your order and free two-day shipping no other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality power and innovation of the blend jet 2 they guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code THATUFO12 to get 12% off, remember folks, and that free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. It's very strange to think that extraterrestrial for many of us would now be a bit of a mundane, you know, ah, they're, they're just coming from somewhere else, not somewhere else or some other dimension. No? Ah, Okay. I suppose that's interesting, you know, but we'll, we'll get to we that. Rest, right? We yeah, progressed. that's it. Yeah. Um, but that's what this topic does to you. Um, you. You've mentioned a few times the conference. And I want to get to that before we, we mention some listener questions. So an inquiry into anomalous experiences and the phenomenon as an intimate conference series continuing in the heart of New York City, Saturday, December 3rd. 2022. So in a couple of weeks time, uh, James Iandoli and J. Christopher King were both on the podcast a few weeks ago talking about the last conference that was a big smash hit. Um, tickets are sold out for in person for this upcoming conference, but there are still live stream tickets available and they should also have the technology to take listener questions from the live stream as well. So you can be interactive with it or watch on the repeat. Um, the, the lineup is phenomenal again. So it's hosted by James Iandoli and J. Christopher King. They'll be coming back on next week to chat about it. Kelly Chase from the UFO Rabbit Hole podcast is a host, and Priscilla Stone from Quantum Witch Cafe as well. All fantastic, lovely people. Uh, Christopher Mellon is... is you know, a very surprising addition given Christopher Mellon doesn't give too much of his time uh, even to the big mainstream organizations for interviews. So it's fantastic that he's going to be there. Leslie, you are also there. We've discussed, um, I believe, are you interviewing Christopher Mellon? Is that your role within the the conference? Well, I'm going to have my own time where I uh, do my own thing. And then, uh, yes, he is. Is that is that something that's been announced already? Yes, that's 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 been online. Yeah. Okay, so he has asked me to kind of do a dialogue with him. That's just how he wanted to structure his time. Um, he's very comfortable with that. And so it'll be like a Q&A that I'll, I'll interact with him for about half. And then there'll be a lot of time for audience questions. I think one of the things that's going to be different about this conference from the last one is there's going to be a lot more time for questions from the audience. And as you said, that includes the live stream people. So. Yeah. Um, I certainly intend for my time to allow just to sit back and 
talk to the audience and have a Q and A and a dialogue and people can ask me questions that I won't be able to answer, but I'll do my best. <laughs> well, the, the link's in the description for people to buy tickets for that live stream, but all, including uh, Christopher Mellon and Leslie Keane, you have got Jeffrey Kripal, Ralph Blumenthal, Sharon Hewitt-Rollett and Whitley Strieber all there as well. So that's an incredible lineup. There is something for everyone, but with the idea that we've talked about, you know, UFOs, afterlife, experiencers, all of that potentially being connected. And I think you've got a wonderful range of people there and experiences themselves um, to have that kind of overall conversation. What what are you most looking forward to, Leslie, about attending and being part of this conference? Oh, that's a hard thing to say. I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to all of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it all interconnects. Because as you said, we've got people all the way from Whitley Strieber to Chris Mellon, right? I mean, opposite ends of the spectrum, but yet there's a connection too. And um, I just want to see how it all fits together and how people respond to the uh, presentations. And um, I just look forward to interacting with everybody. Uh, And yeah, I just think the speakers, every one of them is going to be making an amazing presentation. I mean, um, I'm leaving myself out of that, but everybody else, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and um, yeah. So I'm just looking forward to the whole thing. And I, yeah, I think the, um, I, the in-person conference is sold out, but there is a waiting list. So if somebody really wants to come in person, I, mm. I would encourage them to get on that list because there may be people that will cancel. They can't come for some reason, or there may be a few extra tickets at the end that they'll have, you know, they will be able to fit people in. So just don't give up on that if if you are interested in it. Yeah, I think one of the listeners got in touch with me a couple of weeks ago when it was sold out and he wanted to travel from L.A., to go and i think he's got himself a ticket sorted out so you know that's that's commitment um and i know graham rendell and okay too there yeah, are people coming from- graham rendell and dan zetterstrom uh, both of this parish and their own their own stuff as well and um, they're both traveling over so they'll be looking to say hello to you as well leslie i'm sure um and a few other yeah. listeners too and jay uh project unity is coming and yes. there were people that's conference from all over the United States and people from Chicago, I remember, and get California. I mean, and I think this time even more. So it's just going to be, a, there's going to be a great energy in that room. Really, really people that really want to be there and it'll be very interactive, the whole thing. So I think it's good that it's not a huge audience because it, yeah. it, it's a more intimate experience for everybody there. Yeah. So, and I, I just take my hat off to Jay and James. They're doing such a great job of organizing these events and they're going to keep doing it. We've already working on another one that's going to be in this, you know, coming up in a few months. So, and I'm, I'm really happy to be able to help them with all of it. And I just think they're doing a great job. So, well, yeah, I, I, I hope I told them. I told them last time, Leslie, if they gave me a few months more notice, I could have attended. So if we're if we're looking at March, April, that would be fantastic. And maybe I could get myself over for one as well. So um, I hope you can. Andy. Yeah, we're looking at April now. I mean, I, I don't I should leave it up to them, but we're looking at early April for the next one. My wife might be a bit more understanding being left with three young children for me to travel <laughs> over to New York for work reasons. Obviously, yeah, I wouldn't enjoy Where myself. Yeah, deducted all your taxes, right? Uh, yeah, it'd be horrendous, I'm sure. Yeah, tax deductible, I'm sure. Um, but listen, let's get to some listener questions in the last of the time that we have, Leslie. Um, thanks to everyone who sent over something. And if you're not, 
Uh, you don't have your question read out here. Hopefully something's been mentioned in the body of the interview because Leslie's been been great with her time. Um, first up from Newman. Newman asks, where does Leslie see the disclosure debate outside of the US? Could a potential adversary such as China or Russia have incentives and capabilities to scoop the US by taking the lead in the conversation? Yeah, what a great question. I mean, it's something I think about. I, I can't say that I know the answer to that question. Um, and I would I would assume that we at the United States would not want that to happen because we don't want one of our adversaries to take control of the narrative and kind of take the lead on this. We also, of course, don't want them to have the technology if they, you know, there's, that's why one reason why we keep it secret because we don't want our enemies to develop this technology ahead of us. So it's something, it's a really interesting question. You know, what if one of those other countries just announced, uh, but I just don't, somehow I don't think anyone really wants to announce it, but I really can't offer any insight. I mean, it's a fascinating question that is on a lot of people's minds, I'm sure. And I, I just, I don't know how it's going to play out, but it's always a possibility something like that could happen. I can't rule it out. Another follow-up from Newman, he asks, bear in mind, we talked about uh, Julian Barnes' article and how it was opposite sides of the spectrum from your own work with, with Ralph and Helene. Um, what's your stance on the more sensational reporting occasionally that has occurred over the last couple of years? For example, he gives Ross Coulthard's alien metal balls weighing 10 pounds and it coming across potentially as more ancient aliens is his wording the way it's that's kind of set up. Do you think those kind of takes on the UFO subject do more harm than good or are they good for raising awareness? I think they're great. I mean, I think the work that Ross does is absolutely wonderful. And I think the the sphere that he's talking about, the one he presented on his, his documentary, yes, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there are, there are more, <clears throat> excuse me. There are more spheres than that one. Yep. It's the real thing. And there are people looking into that and studying it. And uh, I think that Ross Coulthard is a fantastic reporter and I would never, you know, I mean, it, the difference is that he he has more leeway than than I do writing for the New York Times. Right. If he does a, a show on Channel seven in Australia, he has a lot more leeway to to present certain topics uh, that that I can't do in the New York Times. You know, and he, so in a way, I kind of envy the freedom that he has to explore some of these other things that may not be 100 percent documented or maybe a little more you know, uncertain, but are absolutely fascinating. So I think there's absolutely, we need that kind of reporting. I mean, I, I feel like because I'm sort of keeping myself with the hopes of contributing more to the New York Times, I, it limits what I can do greatly. So I think that, so I have no issues with, I think Ross and, and Bryce both do a great job. I have great respect for them. Yeah, I was going to mention Bryce in there as well. Bryce Zabel, who obviously is Ross's uh, partner on Need to Know, they are showing podcast and works with them in those documentaries as well. Um, next question from David. Through your channels and various contacts, are you aware of any members of Congress who have been politically pressured or otherwise dissuaded from pursuing the kind of soft disclosure we are watching unravel now? I can't say specifically, but I, I know that there are there's a lot of conflict about it. I mean, there are some that don't want it to happen. Um, and I know that um, 
uh, Senator Burchett, Tim Burchett from Tennessee, mm-hmm. Congressman, I'm sorry, Representative yeah. from Tennessee, just recently said, I think it was in the interview with Jay Project Unity that, um, and he said these things before that he feels like the members of Congress are, he used the word compromised in terms of their ability to really carry this through. And uh, he didn't go into much detail about what he meant, but obviously there are things going on behind the scenes that there are, I'm sure there are attempts to hold back this process. And, uh, you know, I can't talk about any specific events, but it's, it's not like it's a slam dunk that this is all going to, we're going to get these whistleblowers and it's all going to happen. And we're going to be given all this great information. And, you know, it's, 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 uh, so I, I, I think it's way more complicated and I'm sure there's a lot of pushback against members of Congress that are leading the charge here. Absolutely. I, I get the feeling that some people expect it to be two steps forward, one step back, but I think we could still see three tips, three steps back, one to the side, two steps forward. Yeah, it could be a, a bit of a, a merry-go-round, but it's it's like it's going to be interesting along the way. Um very, very Question from Gregory asks, has there ever been any reports you have heard of, Leslie, of a UFO saving or rescuing a person, someone lost at sea or injured in a remote location? You mean actually picking them up in a craft and taking them to safety? Yeah, I'm I'm guessing that's what they're going with here, yeah. They don't say that specifically, but... I can't say, but that doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, experiencers who have reported stories like that. I mean, I, 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 there could be the ones that I haven't read, you know, I can't think of any that I'm familiar with of somebody being actually rescued. Um, so, but I'm not aware of every single case that's out there. Do you know, it made, so, me, it made me think of the very first person interviewed on surviving death on Netflix is the canoeist who was stuck upside down and basically for 15 minutes underwater and she certainly could have used something like that at the time because that was an incredible story. Like that was, yeah, horrible Amazing. to think, yeah, just be drowning and being underwater. But well, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, no reports of that. Which, but thanks for the question, Gregory. A question from Keith, and this one might be a little bit more controversial for some, um, but it's I understand the the, the question. Um, he says, now the dust has settled, some people question the details of the original 2017 article and the claims specifically of Louise Elizondo, um, claiming that ATIP was more of a hobby and OSAP was the real programme, and this somehow delegitimizes Louise Elizondo. Can you weigh in on your opinion of Louise, his claims, and the reasons for any of those discrepancies? I mean, I, as we wrote, and we stand by our reporting in that first article, and I stand by Lou. I think I have no, I have absolute proof, documentation, and reports of people from the program that Lou Elizondo did head up the ATIP program. Yep. <clears throat> it was a small program, but it existed, you know, at the time he he resigned, it was in play, and it um, and I, I do not. You know, I stand by Lou. I I trust Lou, and I I think he's done. An, he's made an amazing contribution by coming forward and doing all that he has done for all of us. And I'm not interested in focusing on you know these criticisms of him. I don't think I'm just 
I don't support it. Yeah, I think what some people get at, and I've said on the podcast before, like uh, John Greenwald, I interviewed a few months ago, I, I said, I get why people pick up on discrepancies, but it seems to me like if I go to a, a football match and I'm, rec- I'm recalling the details of being at the match and I say I was wearing a brown T-shirt, actually I was wearing a white T-shirt. It doesn't mean I wasn't at the football game. There's just been a small detail misremembered and people can jump all over those kinds of things, especially in the UFO conversation around dates and what officially when a program started, when a program officially ended, because those are details that we really are privy to anyway, let alone getting the exact details on them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just think it's I don't go on the I'm not in the Twitter world, so I don't. I'm not privy to all Lucky the kind you. of stuff yeah. that goes on. I just I completely stay away from it. But I, I just don't understand why the hyper-focus on detail like that to to be critical of somebody who's made such a huge contribution. I mean, I don't – I'm just – that's not how I want to spend my time is trying to understand what's going on there. Yeah. I just stay away from it. Do you know what? Um, there's there's I, a lot of good people. There's a lot of good people on Twitter, but I can see also why it's driven away people like Lou from the platform because it just, and he always said, question them, you know, question the data, question everything around this because that's what you should do. But like you say, I think the hypercritical nature of some some things just got too much for people and I don't blame him for, for going away as he did. Um so yeah, that that was unfortunate, and people don't, I think, appreciate what they've got until it's gone. It is very much the the case of what's happened with a lot of these people leaving the platform as well. Um, a question from Beckier back on the the subject of the afterlife: What does Leslie think happens when we die? Reincarnation, heaven or hell, something to that effect. Oh wow, that's that's a huge question. I think yeah. that is a big one. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean. You know, the way I, I mean, in my book, I explored so many different areas of of evidence for survival. And um, I mean, my conclusion really was that it, it does seem that there, there, the consciousness in some form or other does survive, at least for some time. Uh, but, I, you know, I have no idea about heaven or hell. Those seem like religious concepts to me. And my, my research has nothing to do with religion. Uh, I just, you know... Um, and reincarnation, there's there's incredible evidence for. Re- I mean, in fact, to me, that's some of the more the strongest evidence for survival are these cases of young children who re- accurately remember a past life when they're just like three years old, and these the 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 details that they recall can actually be verified to a specific person. That you know, I mean, some of those cases are so extraordinary that to me they're among the more convincing cases of of survival now. Then the question becomes, does everybody reincarnate and how, you know, I, I have no idea. I mean, I don't think anyone really knows the bigger questions about how all of this works. And it does sort of get into religious frameworks and people develop their own frameworks for how they're going to relate to this. But what I was trying to do in my book was sort of look at research, you know, evidence that that's separate from any kind of religion or belief system, really. and it, and I think it's there. I think that it's, there's really solid material that suggests that co- certainly that consciousness functions independently of the body. I believe that there's pretty much proof of that. And this is, of course, the living body, that consciousness, consciousness functions out independently of the brain, which the materialist world would not accept. They believe that the brain generates consciousness. So when there's no brain, there's no consciousness. But we have 
many, many, many examples and study that shows that studies that show that that's not the case. So, but we, you know, so therefore that sort of establishes a strong possibility that if, if it can function without the brain when the person is still living and although, I mean, it functions, the person dies, right? And the, the consciousness is still happening. It's still got memories. It's still experiencing things when there is absolutely no brain. And the person is basically dead temporarily. The, diff, the thing is they come back. So the question is, does the same thing happen when, when the person is dead and they don't come back? You know, is this, does consciousness exist independently of the brain the same way it does in these other experiences where they eventually do come back, even though they are really dead for a while. So you'd think it probably does happen the same way, but you, you can't prove it because the person doesn't come back to tell us mm. about it. Right. Um, I hope that makes sense. So, you know, that's sort of the level at which I'm looking at it. And it's not about, you know, it's not like I have any particular insight into how all of it works or whether there's heaven or hell or how reincarnation works. I can just present you with case data that, illustrate that these things actually happen. And um, yeah, so I hope that the questioner might, you know, look at some of that data and then maybe she or he will formulate their own framework because I think that's ultimately what we have to do. And like what's evidence to one person may not be evidence to another. And what's really can, you know, a person can be really convinced by something that might not convince someone else. So I think when it comes to the evidence for survival of consciousness it's a very personal kind of thing that it it connects very much with one's own personal experience and also what one considers to be valid evidence and, and versus not you know yeah it's not as hardcore as other areas of investigation so i would just encourage the person who asked it with that great question to look at some of these you know sort of objective uh studies that really show these things really do happen and then formulate your your framework depending on your own worldview. You know, once you've done that, I mean, I just think that's that's the only thing you can do. But I have no particular wisdom in heaven, into heaven or hell or anything like that. Well, well, I've got two questions left from listeners, and one of them follows on from that exact question. Actually, um, Tree of Life says, in surviving death, Leslie describes scenarios where children seem to recall past lives, which you've just mentioned. What is Leslie's take on the theory that they might instead be channeling a spirit? So rather than reincarnation, it's more it's like a kind of spiritual possession that results in the children's experiences of a past life. Yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's an absolutely great question. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I think I'm relying partly on the work of Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker, who at the University of Virginia, the Department of Perceptual Studies or Division of Perceptual Studies, who have, you know, they're MDs, they're trained, and, and Jim Tucker is a psychiatrist. And so I think, you know, he knows what the characteristics of possession look like. I mean, there are cases where a, a, a person appears to be possessed by something and also um, multiple personality disorder, that kind of thing. I mean, there are ways of evaluating whether that's happening to somebody. So I think there's that level of it. But when you have a three-year-old describing memories, I mean, it doesn't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I just, the, the way it happens is it's for one thing, it's not continuous. So when I think of possession, I don't know, it's like there's some spirit entering the body of the child. The child is always present, 
the child has memories and then for maybe for months and months and months has no memories. It's just a normal kid, you know, and then something will trigger a memory or they'll have a nightmare. Nightmares are very common where they relive the, the previous death. So um, the child very much feels that they were that person. That's how they experience it. Um, they were that person now. But, you know, there's probably no way to absolutely prove that it's not some kind of spirit that's coming, interacting with that child and they're absorbing it. It could be, you know, it just, I don't know, if you look at the, a lot of the case reports and read a lot of the case studies, it just, it doesn't leave you with that impression. That's all I can say, but I'm not an expert on it. And I also trust the authorities who do look at these cases and have, don't really come up with that as an explanation. That's a fair that's answer. Old. That's a fair answer, and I would probably go along with that as well, with my, with my limited knowledge, because some of the 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 cases I've heard of of these children recalling past lives are just incredible. And we've always said, my little boy he's kind of been here before, and um, the way he goes on and just six years old, but a kind of old spirit. Whereas my my little girl and other little boy are probably much newer, you know, not quite as bright. Um. So, and fi <laughs> final question from Joe. Joe asks, what has surprised you most about the UFO topic that you've learned in the last five years that maybe doesn't get the coverage or discussion within the UFO community that it should? Well, because I'm not always aware of what's getting discussion in the UFO community because I'm I'm just not that involved. Um. So, uh, what is the most, what is the, he said the most unusual, less, uh, most the most interesting thing? or surprising thing, you know, yeah. I, I think he's looking for maybe a little bit of a nugget of, you know, Leslie's heard this, but it's never really came out, but I wish I had something I could offer. Um, I think, you know, for me personally, it's, I think the getting an expanded perception of what the UFO is all about. Like, for instance, the book that I mentioned, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, which kind of, you know, the, these bizarre experiences, the whole hitchhiker effect thing where the paranormal aspects are, are go with a person to another location and, and the orbs that are coming into people's bodies and causing medical injuries. Yeah. Um, I think I'm more aware of this as being something that I'm that's fearful, I think. I'm more aware that this is a power, you know, this non-human intelligence is something that has complete control over us humans. That's that's and that I understand why they've wanted to keep that secret, really. Um, I, I, I have more of a sense of the frightening elements of it, I have to say, than I had before 2017, just from talking to people and. Um, you know, people who've had experiences and close encounters. And I know that uh, listening to Jim Semivan and what happened to him and his perception of this, I really relate to that. Um, so I'm a little more sort of less in awe of it and a, less awe and a little more fear to tell you the truth. Uh, yeah. And just an expanded perception of how much we really don't know about what it is and how it manifests in so many different ways. Like how do we explain the variety of manifestations of whatever this paranormal, this, this other reality is. But I think that the element of the non-human, what, whatever this non-human thing is that it does have so much power and control over us. It can do anything it wants and we have nothing we can do about it. And that's really sort of sunk in, hit me at a new level in more recent times. 
not that that's something wonderful to to share, but uh, it's, I think it's the reality of it. And um, it's just, you know, hearing also things like just weird illnesses that people get from it, you know, and you don't want to get too close to these things and all of that. Um, I just wasn't as aware of it before. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I've certainly gotten to know more people who I'm speaking to off the record, behind the scenes. I'm much more aware of how much there is knowledge, you know, among deep, you know, highly classified people with clearances within Mm. the intelligence community. There really is a lot of knowledge about this. And um, I think there are a lot of discussions about what should be revealed and what shouldn't be revealed. And I understand the hesitancy about revealing certain things because it's a lot to deal with. And um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I do worry about it a little bit more. I'm also worried about the future more. I worry about the climate change and how that might interact with the UFO phenomenon, you know, as the, as the earth starts to become less and less inhabitable. Uh, How is that all going to play out? So anyway, I don't know. I'm just rambling. Well, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good answer. I, I ramble to end on. Uh, Leslie, listen, thank you very much for your time. Just before you go, um, is there anything you're working on just now that you want to let the listeners know of? Obviously, you'll be appearing at the, the conference on December 3rd. Anything else that you've got in the in the pipeworks? Well, I have just finished working on this um, five-part series, which was... Um, for CNN about UAP. Mm -hmm. So I've got some news about that and I'm going to talk about that at the conference. So that's been a a really big part of my, of my work in the last two years, I would say. And um, I'm always working on trying to find new stories and keeping abreast of everything and talking to a lot of people and uh, a lot goes on behind the scenes. So it might look like I'm not doing much, but I am doing a lot. It just doesn't always get brought forward, you know? So um, there'll be more in the future. Well, like you say, you're not on Twitter, but you're more active on Facebook. People can follow your Facebook page if they're that way inclined. Uh, Your website and all descriptions for your books and such will be in the links to the show as well, Leslie. So thank you very much for spending so much time with me. It's been wonderful to speak to you, and this has been two years in the making for me. So thanks very much. Well, well, that's great. And I'm so glad I could come on with you, Andy. It's been delightful to talk to you. Thank you for your your good questions and, and all the best that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like, retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook Instagram that UFO podcast Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap design. Hi, everyone. Andy here. This is a special announcement for folks who listen to the show via Spotify. You can now support the pod directly through Spotify for less than the price of a coffee each month, giving you ad-free content, no sponsorships, 
early access and bonus shows as well. So many of you have chosen to support the show through Patreon and Apple Premium, and I appreciate this has been a long time coming for Spotify listeners. Just search That UFO Podcast Premium in Spotify, or click the link in this description for this announcement. I am working my way through to upload the entire back catalogue with no sponsors or advertising in there, and you can already listen to the latest interview with ex-CIA officer John Ramirez and some of our popular AMAs, with a new one of those coming soon just for premium members. Otherwise, Apple Premium is still available with a two-week free trial as well, again from less than the price of a coffee, or you can sign up for Patreon for the additional benefits that come with those tiers. Again, thank you to everyone who supports the podcast and just listens to the shows. Lots of great content to come.